Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. In this sermon series, Jesus As, we explore the various ways that Jesus is portrayed in the New Testament. We look at the ways that he is portrayed like Moses, Jonah, David, and Joseph. Enjoy. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you in your presence, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Marjorie Williams' classic book, The Velveteen Rabbit, tells the story of a stuffed toy rabbit given to a young boy as a Christmas present. The Velveteen Rabbit lives in the nursery with all the other toys, waiting for the special day when the boy will make him real through the love of a human. One night we get to overhear a conversation with the skin horse. What is real, asked the rabbit one day as he was lying beside the skin horse in the nursery. Real isn't how you are made, said the skin horse. It's a thing that happens to you. When a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with, but really loves you, then you become real. Does it hurt, asked the rabbit. Sometimes, said the skin horse, when you are real, you don't mind being hurt. Does it happen all at once, like being wound up, he asked, or bit by bit? It doesn't happen all at once, said the skin horse. You become. It takes a long time. That's why it doesn't often happen to people who break easily, or have sharp edges, or who have to be carefully kept. Generally, by the time you are real, most of your hair has been loved off, and your eyes drop out, and you get loose in the joints and very shabby. But these things don't matter at all, because once you are real, you can't be ugly except to people who don't understand. As we begin our Advent series today and study Jesus through the lens of different biblical figures, the stories that we will explore together are all very real. They speak of people who are compelling, yet also very human and somewhat ordinary. Today we consider the idea of Jesus as a Moses figure, and we will primarily focus on how both Moses and Jesus understood the law and how they each teach us about following God's will. Although the story of Moses begins with a miraculous birth, which was common in ancient Near Eastern texts, Moses faced the very real problem of being raised among the powerful elite who were oppressing his actual family, the Hebrews. Yet we often have this image of Moses as a powerful figure, being captivated by the burning bush, stomping down from the mountain with large stone tablets. Some of you may right now be imagining Charlton Heston in the Ten Commandments calling out, who is on the Lord's side? Let him come to me. We often think of Moses leading the Israelites through the Red Sea. And even today, Moses is still a compelling figure. Just last week, I saw a preview of the new movie Exodus, Gods and Kings, starring a very rugged Christian Baal as Moses. In one scene from the movie trailer, Moses is having an intense confrontation with Pharaoh, who accuses Moses of all the plagues. Pharaoh looks menacing and tells Moses that he will drown his people in the Nile. Moses stares back at Pharaoh defiantly and then dramatically replies, I don't think so. <laughs> of course, Hollywood loves these moments, but suffice it to say, that version of the story isn't quite the full picture. Today's passage from Exodus 4 reminds us of Moses' beginning. To help us get a little context for where we're at in the story, in chapter 3, Moses has the dramatic God encounter with the burning bush. Moses then asks for God's name, and God elusively replies, I am who I am. 
God also promises Moses that God will deliver the Hebrew people from slavery with very specific instructions about what Moses could expect from Pharaoh and what God would do in return. Moses, of course, questions all of this, and so God tells Moses to throw down his staff, which then turns into a snake. Just when we think Moses is out of excuses or questions, it's at this point that we find Moses with his final argument. Now, it may be comforting for some of us that Moses has a hissy fit, because if we're being honest, we all have moments like this, don't we? Moses dug in his heels, gave God an eye roll, and said, really, God, not me. You've got to be kidding me. I don't even like public speaking. I'm not going to do this. And of course, by this point, God is understandably irritated, but God is also seeing something in Moses that Moses does not see in himself. When we read chapters 3 and 4 together, we see that Moses is coming from a place of fear. He is afraid of being rejected by his own people, and so he wants as much assurance as possible. And even though God gets very specific with Moses, it takes a lot for Moses to see the future God knows as possible. In a striking move that shows just how much God really is willing to take from humanity, God gives in and tells Moses, okay, fine, I hear you, but guess what? You're still going to do this. Take your brother. Old Testament scholar Terence Fredheim calls this God's plan B. The words of Moses, however ineloquent, become God's presence to the people. Now, if we believe that God is all-powerful, then it would make sense in this story if... God told Moses to stop making excuses and forced him to be a leader. But God saw who Moses really was, and so God knew that Moses would eventually see himself as a leader God knew he could be. As we know, and especially as we recall um, during the season of Advent, Jesus also had a miraculous beginning, at least in the Gospel of Luke. Although we have countless examples of his humility and servant heart, Jesus is also often been portrayed as a powerful figure in movie versions of the Gospels, often by actors with curiously intense eyes and far lighter skin than could ever be historically accurate. Jesus is often understood as the new Moses because he is seen as fulfilling the law of God by giving us the law of love, the Sermon on the Mount, and because he is thought to fulfill the prophecies of the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures. But to understand Jesus as a Moses figure can be a little tricky because Jesus understands the role of Jewish tradition differently than most rabbinic leaders of his day. There are several fascinating passages about how Jesus reinterprets the rabbinic traditions, all of his many arguments with the Pharisees, when he defended a woman from being stoned, when he honored the commitment of friends who lowered a man through the roof and not only healed the man but forgave his sins when he flipped the tables in the temple in outrage against the temple authorities who were demanding the poor pay so many taxes they could barely afford to survive. But what we have today is a parable. We could understand this parable casually and see it only as an example that was more relevant to its original audience, but to do that would be to miss the larger point. As Alex has reminded us in his previous sermons, Jesus' kind of authority is distinctive because he offers his own interpretation of what the law means to people. Before we get to this parable, Jesus has offered the Beatitudes, talked about the well-known images of salt and light, and taught about everything from anger to adultery. Compared to these teachings, a small parable about where to build a house may seem a little unnecessary. But Palestinians who heard this message 
would have understood that a house is built during the dry season without rain so that the true stability of the house wouldn't be known until the rain came. Some people uh, often get into the habit of understanding parables as spiritual versions of Aesop's fables, where there is one very clear or easy moral in every parable. But the message here is much deeper, and the answer was likely not easy for the disciples. Jesus was concerned about the importance of having the right foundation, and that foundation was the will of God. Hearing the parables was not enough. Jesus expected action. Verses 28 and 29 always stand out to me. The crowds were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as their scribes. We can imagine that the scribes were beginning to feel threatened as Jesus gained not only spiritual but political ground, much in the same way Pharaoh's authorities felt threatened by Moses and his claim to God's truth. Now, it might be a lot easier to say that the command to love invalidates the Ten Commandments because it fulfills them, or that the way Jesus leads is obviously beyond how Moses led. But Jesus never once denied the traditions that formed him his entire life. Moses defined the traditions of his people. Jesus stood in the middle of them and spoke new truth about them. Moses brought the Ten Commandments, which represented God's will for his people. Jesus brought the Sermon on the Mount and the Law of Love, which is God's will for humanity. To accept only the letter of the law would be to deny the power of grace, but to accept grace without knowing what it means to live in covenant would cheapen the gift of God's word to the people and to us. When we, need, when we hear about Moses, we need to hear his fumbling excuses as well as his acceptance of God's vision and when we hear about Jesus, we need to hear about him flipping tables as well as healing the sick, because we learn something new about the will of God in each story and God's dream for us. If we choose to recognize the authority of Jesus, if we choose to call him Lord, then we must do the hard work of discerning God's will together, as the early church often did. We meet together, we talk about our priorities, we talk about where we have been and where we want to go. Like the Velveteen Rabbit learned, when we are real together, sometimes it can hurt. Sometimes there are growing pains. But that's what it takes to be real. This is the work that we have already started as we are all part of the vision that Alex has laid out for this community. But for it to flourish, it takes all of us. It takes all of us digging deep into asking ourselves who we believe Jesus really is. And so when Matthew shows Jesus offering a new interpretation of the work that Moses began, a new way of living, we can choose to allow that to form us and to keep forming us. Some of you may know that I am a Native American. I'm a member of the Port Gamble Sklalem Nation in Kingston, Washington, which is just across the water from Seattle. And although I've never lived on a reservation, every year I spend a couple weeks there with my dad, who has lived there for some time now, my aunts and uncles and more cousins than I can ever remember. And every time I go, I am shaped and revitalized by the cultures and traditions that our family has known for so long. So this morning, I wanted to share a little bit about one of our practices. One of the practices of many traditional Native Americans is to burn organic tobacco during prayer ceremonies. Tobacco represents the prayers of the people, and when we burn it, we believe the smoke rises to God, especially as a part of the prayer that we have no words for. Many tribes have a designated person or a few select people who are what we call pipe carriers. There is a pipe here on the table which you can take a look at after worship. 
And this is a traditional peace pipe that a pipe carrier would have. This one was given to me by a dear friend who has always supported my work in the church, and I promised him that I would try to use it well, even though I am not an official pipe carrier. But as I was thinking about interpreting traditions, this image of the pipe carrier kept coming to my mind. I believe that those who pray with these pipes, the ones who have been given authority by their community, are showing leadership by carrying the prayers of their people. That is what we are called to do for each other, isn't it? To claim our authority as children of God and carry each other's prayers as a community. In the spirit of Moses and Jesus, but also in the same spirit as Pharaoh's daughter, we can choose to embody our prayers, to offer new life to those who may feel out of place, and to live into God's reality for our world. We may not always feel eloquent, and yes, sometimes we would rather offer God an excuse, but we are all called to be voices of truth for each other. As we begin Advent today and anticipate the hope and light of God with us, we find ourselves unable to ignore the darker days, unable to ignore the violence that continues to unfold in our country and the ways in which we are still a long way from God's vision for us. I am reminded of the final words from one of my favorite Pink Floyd songs on the turning away. I will read the words of a last verse and then Adam will play them so you can hear them musically. No more turning away from the weak and the weary. No more turning away from the coldness inside. Just a world that we all must share. It's not enough just to stand and stare. Is it only a dream that there'll be no more turning away? Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.fpcah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.